0: Heavenly Father, we're grateful for who you are and, and just how you move through your people. Even as Scott mentioned just um, this season that we're, we're starting to peek our head out of here with Josh and the Rikes, Katie and the family joining us. This time of transition that we've felt um, that we've been in for a while, acknowledgement of our elder board and just their service to us. Elders that are stepping off of the board and elders that are, that are coming on board. Now, there's so much anticipation that you're cultivating among your people and even in this, this short past couple of weeks of studying dangerous prayers, God, there's that same anticipation, there's that same stirring in our hearts as you're bringing things to light. And God, we know that you're bringing these things to light because you wanna use us, you want us to grow. You take us deeper and deeper and deeper still when we're ready. And we have to believe that you have been bringing us to such a time as this, where you're teaching us to step out of our comfort zone, to be bold, to pray those prayers. It was dangerous prayers, God. And so we look to anticipation, uh, with anticipation, to all that you're going to do in our time of study together now and in the coming weeks and the coming years. We celebrate you, God. We worship you. Come close to us now. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So like I said, Dangerous Prayers, the idea of Dangerous Prayers coming off of last week and that prayer to just make me bold. How convicting that is to my own life. I had the opportunity now to prepare for this morning And I chose the prayer, the dangerous prayer, break my heart. God, break my heart. This is a dangerous prayer because it's a a prayer of, of surrender. It's a prayer of letting go. It's a prayer of handing over, right? We're so used to staying comfortable. We're so used to wanting what we want, we're so used to wanting to see what we see, that when we pray a prayer like this, where we're handing things over, we're handing our heart over to God, we're saying, break it, I want to see things as you see things. When we hear the words, break my heart, you know, classic, I think of love songs and heartache and But this prayer is so much more than that. It's more than just feeling bad. It's more than just that feeling of heartache. As I thought about this prayer, asking God to to break my heart, one phrase kept popping into my mind. And as I've studied, we're gonna be looking at past sermons that we've studied. Where people within the scriptures, hearts were breaking. I realized that this heartache, this heartbreaking, was more than just a bad feeling. Really, what it was, was asking God, you know, keep me up at night. That's the one phrase that kept popping into my head. This idea of heartache being something that keeps you up at night. Something unsettling. That's a dangerous prayer to say, God, make me uncomfortable. Here's my heart. Break it for what breaks yours. It's uneasy, unsettling, uncomfortable. When we ask God to break our hearts, there's this element of anguish, suffering, and grief that will come along with it praying, God, keep us up at night about these things. And it's curious to me how closely related this idea of heartbreak and heartache is to grief or long suffering. Curious to me too how the the story, the climax of the story of the Bible involves the same sort of suffering anguish, heartbreak, right, where we celebrate at communion. That's close to the heart of God. That's close to the heartache that we are praying for when we say, God, break my heart. Just don't make me just feel bad about something. Don't make me just concerned about something. I just don't, don't want to just see what's heartbreaking. When we pray, break my heart, we're saying, I want to feel it. It's closely related to that idea of grief. We think of the story of the crucifixion, Jesus separated from God, bearing our sin. That sort of heartache. That's what we're praying when we pray for God to break our hearts. Asking God, don't, don't help me just see what's concerning, but I wanna feel it, I like you feel it. I wanna suffer like you suffered for these things. That's a heavy, heavy prayer. That's a heavy, heavy intro to a sermon. <laughs> but it's legit. It's a dangerous prayer because it's a heavy prayer. We're opening ourselves up to just a world of grief, and anguish, and suffering, but what we're gonna find in our time together is that anguish, grief, and suffering is so close to blessing, so close to when, when Jesus says, fullness of life our willingness to surrender, our willingness to give up, our willingness to hand over our heart and say, God, break it. It's so close to blessing and fullness that we experience in God as well. Jesus knew that when he endured the cross for the joy set before him. So this dangerous prayer is, that, that phrase kept popping into my head through my study. This is, this is something that's I'm praying, God, keep me up at night. God, leave me unsettled, make me unsettled, make me uncomfortable for the things that break your heart. We look back in our previous studies we did a, a uh, study on the book of Nehemiah. Right? And you remember Nehemiah's prayer in the first chapter? Nehemiah 1.4 says, when I heard these things, when Nehemiah Nehemiah saying, when I heard these things, when he heard about the destruction of the wall, he sat down and wept. For days he mourned, he fasted, he prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's heart was broken breaking, as God's heart was breaking, over the state of the city and the state of the walls of Jerusalem. I get the sense that when he got the news, right, Nehemiah was was living comfortably in a palace, cupbearer to the king, and his brother visits him, shares the news with him. I get the sense that he was kept up at night, restless, at the news that the walls have been destroyed, the state of the city. Go back to the series that we just did through the Gospel of John, our series, I Am. Remember when we studied where Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. It says in John 11, as Jesus was returning to, to Bethany, to the, the scene of Lazarus' tomb, his dear friend Lazarus had died. When he returned to the scene of the tomb, he saw people weeping. Mary and Martha were there, and they were weeping. Classic verse, John 11:35, 35, where it says that Jesus wept. It says in 11:33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. He was restless. We learned in our study that Jesus was seeing the effects of death. The Jews at that time believed that Lazarus was dead. That was final. He had been in the tomb for four days. That was it. Nothing can be done. Right before Jesus raises him from the dead and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. But Jesus is meeting that death face to face. It's weeping. His heart is breaking. One translation says that he was actually angry in spirit. close to the heart of God. Look at Ephesians 1, where we did just uh, about a year ago, last fall, we did a study through Ephesians. Now, this is the flip side of that. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. And here, he's, you, can, you can sense his labor of love. He's seemingly overflowing with joy. And he says, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his, glory, of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Can you sense Paul's seemingly overflowing joy where he says, I keep asking his heart is overflowing in this moment. When we ask to, if God to bring us close to his heart, we ask him to bring, him close, bring us close to what breaks his heart, so we also experience the blessing of our hearts overflowing with joy for that which God is overflowing with joy. But look here in Romans 9, 1 through 3, as Paul writes to the Romans, he shares in that same heartache, that same heartbreak, that same sorrow, where he writes the Romans and he says, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. See, Paul was a Jew by race. He was most likely looked down on because of his ministry to the Gentiles. And Paul's in this letter, Paul's heart is breaking for the people of his race. Here we see examples of people in scripture close to the heart of God, not just overflowing with joy, but also breaking over what breaks God's heart. The state of the walls of Jerusalem promised nation, the state of people who are grieving the loss of a friend and who are just utterly convinced that death is death and death is it, and no one can do anything about it. And Paul, looking to his Jewish brothers and sisters, saying, if I could just be cut off for your sake. When we read through these passages in these past studies, we get the sense that this is is something that's stirred in the heart of God's people. It's similar to this prayer that we're praying, break my heart, stir in my heart, keep me up at night, make me restless. It motivates us. It calls us to action. When we ask God to break our hearts, we want to be motivated into action. We need to be ready to be motivated into action. I think that's part of what makes this prayer so dangerous. It's when we hand over our heart to God and we say, break it. Break it for what breaks your heart. we got to be ready to follow through. we got to be ready to follow through with what he shows us. To the world that that opens up to us. You know, we said a couple weeks ago as we were as we were celebrating Greg and his ministry with us and the staff was up here and Barbara was talking and we shared a little bit about how Greg has sort of changed the language of our staff and how he's moved us from saying that we have to do things to we get to do things. And so we're always correcting each other now. No, we don't have to do that. We get to do that in ministry. We don't have to do this in ministry. We get to do that in ministry. I get the sense that as we pray for God to break our hearts, our heart moves from have to, to get to, to can't help not to. That's what we're praying when we're praying for God, to break our hearts. Bring me to a point where I can't help not to respond. When Nehemiah got that news, I don't think he, he just waked up, woke up in the morning and, and decided, you know what, my I'm going to lose sleep over this thought. You know, this is going to, this is going to break my, part, my heart to the point where I'm restless, where I can't stop thinking about it. You see, we sense that when, in all of Paul's letters, really. And, that you know, we've, we've pointed out how a lot of his letters are written as run-on sentences. But you get that sense from Paul himself, too. His heart's breaking for the people. His heart's overflowing with joy, but his heart's also breaking for the state of the people. And his heart's moved from not a have-to sort of legalistic view or not even maybe not even a get-to where we're responding to an opportunity, but to the point where I can't help not to. I can't lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that this is the state of my brothers and sisters, my fellow Jews, who don't believe. You don't get the sense that Paul's waking up in the morning and saying, you know, on my to-do list, write a letter to the Romans, tell them what I think about their state, the state of their faith, you know. You get the sense that this is just overflowing, that he can't help not write these letters, that he can't help not... 10 pen these words. So that's my prayer, is that as we ask God to break our hearts, that we move from this mentality of having to do something, not even getting to do something, but to the point where we can't help not to. When confronted with something, just like these people, we're confronted with something that breaks the heart of God. Our prayer is, God, bring my heart to the point where I can't help not to respond. That's the perspective that we need to have when we're handing over our heart. We're surrendering, submitting, we're acknowledging who God is, who we are, and we're giving it over, we're saying, God. Take it. Open up my eyes to this world as you see it. And then bring my heart to a point where I can't help not to respond. You know, David, King David was close to the heart of God. It's almost like the heart of God was in his DNA. And In Acts 13, it says that David was A man after God's own heart. And he writes in Psalm 51. It's believed to be, this psalm is believed to be a response to the sin that David committed. with Bathsheba. Looking upon a woman lustfully, getting her pregnant, plotting to kill her husband. Psalm 51 traditionally is believed to be David's response to that. And I don't know if, if any of you have noticed, but there's a painting in the back of our worship center that's titled David after Bathsheba. And it's the figure of a man just hunched over. Looks like he's in the midst of a cave. Imagine it's that state that David is saying this psalm. I talk about being close to the heart of God and heart breaking for what breaks God's heart. Let's read in Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, the posture of David's heart, where he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David's heart is also broken over his own brokenness. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's part of what makes this prayer so dangerous as well is because when we hand over our heart to God and we say break it for what breaks yours, inevitably it's going to come back and it's going to expose our own brokenness. But it's the pursuit of God's heart that makes David a man after God's own heart. You know, sometimes that phrase can be confusing. And it's not saying that David possessed the perfect characteristics of God's heart. He was moving towards God's heart. Chasing after God's heart. Part of chasing after God's heart is knowing our own brokenness. That makes this prayer dangerous as well, doesn't it? feel exposed like that. But repentance, humility, surrender... It's curiously close to the heart of God and how God moves through our hearts. So when we ask God to break our hearts for what breaks his, we're asking him, keep me up at night about these things. Let it be that I can't help not do something about these things that break your heart. Even those things about me. Bring me to a point of repentance, humility, and surrender. Praying, when we pray, break my heart. I saw one author put it this way. We're asking, when we pray, break our heart, we're giving up our own affections and desires. We're asking God to cleanse our hearts and transform our affections and desires. I love how that's put. When we we ask God to break our heart for what breaks his, we're asking him to cleanse our hearts inward and transform our affections both inward and outward. Transform our affections. Like think of that phrase. Think of those words. Think of the impact that that prayer would have on your life. That dangerous prayer Let that prayer sink in. God, change my affections. Break my heart. Expose my brokenness. And change my affections. Transform them. What does it look like when our affections are transformed? The job that we have, the car that we drive, the house that we own, the success. What if that's transformed to gratitude and generosity? Parents wanting families and kids to look all put together and perfect. What if that affection is transformed to your family as a mission field? an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Students that are with us, what if wanting to be accepted among your friends in peer pressure, what if your affection is transformed to wanting to be a witness of God's love and God's hope? What if my affections are transformed in such a way that I go from wanting to win an argument with my wife to an opportunity to humbly admitting my own faults and then gently bringing to light hers, washing her in the word. That's a powerful prayer, to pray that God changes our affections, change our perspective. It's so easy to get caught up and be self-centered. It's so easy to get caught up in Money, job, house, family, friends, our own pride, our own selfishness, and our brokenness, our affections are self-serving and it's not worship. But when we ask God to cleanse our hearts, transform our affections, ask him to break our hearts, Change our perspective. It's a powerful prayer. So we see that, that all throughout Scripture, there are people with the hearts breaking both outwardly and inwardly. The power of, of a prayer that, that asks God to transform our affections to change how we see things, change our perspective. There's a song by Hillsong called Hosanna. And as I was studying through this idea of breaking my heart, I kept hearing this song in my head where the the bridge to the song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. See, there we see a connection between transforming our affections in this life and eternity. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. That really, tra- that really contextualizes this prayer. When we pray, God, change my affections, praying change my affections for your kingdom's cause. Why, because that answers the question why. Why would we pray this prayer? Why would we usher in this heartache for things that we see? Why would we hold our heart out there and say, God here, take it, pull out all those parts of me. I know my own sin, I know my own transgressions. Why would we pray this prayer? What well, it says it right there in that song? For your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity, knowing that, that God's kingdom doesn't just end here on earth, there's an eternal hope out there. That's the perspective. With our eyes set on eternity, break our heart for what breaks yours for your kingdom's cause. Don't just help me see what you see. More importantly, help me feel what you feel. This was the entirety of Jesus' ministry. How do we see the hurting? How do we see the widowed, the orphan? How do we see the abused? How do we see the homeless, the sick, the addict, the sinner? God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. As you see these things, I want to see them as you see them. How do we see the woman whose husband has decided to abandon her? One step further, how do we see the man who's decided to abandon his wife? God sees that a certain way. Is our heart breaking? The same way that God sees that? And when we pray this prayer, are we willing to follow through? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Keep me up at night for what breaks your heart, God. The entirety of Jesus' ministry, from the moment he was baptized to the moment he was crucified, He was on mission. He was praying this prayer. Close to the heart of God. If if the heart of God was angered by something, Jesus was angered by it. The heart of God was compassionate towards something, Jesus was compassionate. I think of Jesus dealing with the disciples and I'm sure patience was involved as well. Forgiveness. Because we know that Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will. Last summer, we did a study called Deeper Still on the Lord's Prayer. And in that study, we talked about prayer being an alignment of wills. That's really what this prayer is, too, when we're asking God to break our heart. Not an alignment of wills like pull up your bootstraps, get her done, where there's a will, there's a way sort of thing. But our prayer life being in alignment of saying, God, if this is what you're about, if this is what your heart is breaking for, if this is what you have, how you have commanded me to treat those who hurt me, if this is how you have commanded me to, to, to treat the, the orphaned, the widowed, God, I want to be about that. And when we offer up our heart to God to transform our affections, That's what we're saying. Where you are is where I wanna be. You know, we've said throughout this season too that God is up to something. God is up to something. We feel like God is up to something. Well, this prayer is a prayer that aligns us with what God is up to. It's such an important prayer. It's such an important perspective. And I know for myself, it's one that just somehow gets lost my own self-centeredness, it gets lost. I think part of it too is because it's not comfortable. It's not easy. Maybe it's not normal. Some of these things that we're gonna be compelled to respond to in ways that the world was gonna look at us and say, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Simple, because it breaks the heart of God. And we know this, that when we pray this prayer, when we ask God to break our hearts, he will transform our affections toward his heart and his kingdom. That's why it's a powerful prayer. When we ask God to break our hearts, he's gonna transform our affections towards his heart and towards his kingdom. Not our will, but his will. You know, in Psalm 51, David is responding to his brokenness really the only way that he can. and Crying out to God and confessing before God. But we have been given something more. We've been given the good news of the gospel. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. So this transformation that we're asking for it's not of ourselves. It's, of the, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God wants to cleanse our hearts and transform our affections. And Mark says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe and the good news, the kingdom mindset is ma- made available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a blessing to know that this opportunity is before us, and this opportunity is not something that we have to will, but that God wills within us when we ask God to break our hearts, to transform our affections, and to turn our hearts towards his his kingdom. If this is your first time hearing about this, then I want to remind you that this same salvation, this same fullness is available to you through the death of Jesus. The Bible says that if you were You believe and repent, turn away from your sins, surrender your life to Jesus, his teaching, his example, his perspective. And you have a hope that goes beyond this life into, into eternity. If you want God to change the affection of your heart, if you want to experience a life that's a full life, with Jesus Christ, then that opportunity is made available to you. And I would encourage you to respond to that. Then you'll experience your purpose as a part of God's kingdom here on earth. This is a dangerous prayer. It's a difficult prayer to pray, but the reward aligning our hearts with God's heart, the blessing that we receive in being a part of his kingdom here on earth, the blessing that we, be, that we receive in being a beacon of hope to those around us through those transformed affections, through that change of heart, is huge. And really, that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do together to ask God to break our hearts. Pray out to God and say, God, don't just, I don't just wanna see what breaks your heart, but I wanna feel it. I want it to keep me up at night. And he'll cleanse our hearts of all our pride, selfishness, and transform our affections. That's our prayer. When we ask God to break our hearts. Are we willing to do that today? Are we willing to pray that prayer? Are we willing to respond to what God reveals to us? This prayer is going to become more and more a part of my own prayer life. And I pray that it is for yours as well. Let's pray together. Father God, we are... um, We pray that you give us boldness. We pray that you give us courage. As we step into a season where you are calling us to pray these dangerous prayers, where you're calling us to hold our heart out there, allow you to move through it, to change those things inside of us that we need to change, as we repent of those things inside of us that we need to repent of, but also as we're made aware of what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom here on earth, what it means to be called out. God, we do pray that you give us opportunities for that holy heartache you give us opportunities to see things as you see them and feel things as you feel them. Give us courage and give us boldness to step into those opportunities. We're thankful for your son Jesus who empowers us. Your Holy Spirit who's made available to us. And we look forward to, to all that you're going to do through us as individuals and as a church. Keep us bold. Keep us brave. Thank you, God, for your example. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.